from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello and welcome to the Center for European Reforms podcast. Now, it's been a dramatic few days in Dutch politics after the general election last Wednesday. Fifteen parties are in the fragmented Dutch parliament. Git Wilders' Party for Freedom, or PVV, captured 37 seats, more than outgoing PM Mark Rutte with his centre-right VVD in the last two election cycles. Timmermans' Red Greens got 25 seats, followed by the VVD with 24. Former Christian Democrat New Social Contract got 20 seats, and the rest followed at quite some distance. While the surprise result of the PVV isn't the 76 needed to form a government, it is possible that Wilders could cobble together a coalition after he waters down some of his more extreme rhetoric on Islam and immigration, something he seems more than willing to do. So how likely is the Netherlands to have Mr. Wilders as its next PM? How much of a headache would this be for the EU, given his party's position on aid for Ukraine and immigration? And will this result tip the EU in favour of populist policies and leaders? With me to discuss all of this is our senior economist, Sander Tordois, and Caroline de Grutier, lecturer and columnist for NRC. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. So, Caroline, how do you explain the election outcome and the last-minute surge by Wilders and his far right? How does this compare to other right-wing parties in Europe? Did he follow the Maloney playbook? I think what we are seeing in Europe is that we have, and we have had in many European countries, we had the far right since, well, let's say, roughly the mid-1990s. And each time... Each time when center-right parties, which I believe are key, when center-right parties build a wall and say to the right of us, there is something, but you don't want to go there, then these parties never tap their full potential. Why? Because if people want to vote for the far right, it's a lost vote in a way, because these parties will be kept out of the government. So what's the use anyway? But the minute, and this is what we've seen in the Netherlands, just in the space of a few weeks' time, the minute center-right parties, and we can go into this later, but we have several, when they open the door to a coalition building with the far-right, suddenly it becomes an option. Suddenly the far-right party becomes a party like any other, or even a party that is worth voting for in a strategic way for instance, to keep the left out. And this is, I believe, what has happened with the PVV in the past couple of weeks. The VVD, the center-right liberal party, which is the main center-right party in the Netherlands, has indicated after many, many years where they had kept under Prime Minister Rutte a big wall, has taken down that wall and has started discussing the possibility of a coalition government with the far right. In the space of a second, what they also did they started talking about migration. They blew the subject up 
out of proportion, but knowing full well that there's only one party who considers this subject, migration, asylum and migration, as their pet subject. Nobody is tougher and more extreme than they are on this subject. So by opening the door and by starting to use migration as a campaign subject, they enabled Geert Wilders to step in and claim the subject like nobody else could. So Geert Wilders is one of the most experienced politicians in the Netherlands. He's been in parliament for over 20 years. So he knew that he had to play a new role. They called him Geert Milders because he, he sort of became a little bit milder. This is a pattern that we have seen over and over again in many European countries. In France, the Les Républicains, the center-right, has opened the door to the far right. And now they're actually more extremist and much smaller than the far right. You see the same thing in Austria. We've seen it all over Europe. So, Sandra, what is the outlook for Dutch government coalition negotiations? Will Wilders become prime minister? I think this picks up well on Caroline's point, because essentially the center-right parties in the Netherlands have opened the door to govern with Wilders. Some have dithered. Yes, or good. The successor of Wilders has opened the door a bit more firmly. And so there are essentially three scenarios. One is a regular government that has a majority in parliament led by Wilders and supported by the VVD and the other upstart center-right party founded by former Christian Democrat Peter Omtzigt, who did very well in the election also. And so the keys to that scenario lie with the VVD and with Omtzigt. Now, the VVD has said that they're not willing to go into government, but they're willing to support a government in that direction from the outside. So essentially a kind of supply arrangement where they provide votes but not ministers. The second scenario is a cordon sanitaire of all the other parties, including Timmermans and more left progressive parties against Wilders. And that scenario looks quite unlikely, but it's not fully excluded because it's so difficult to get to a deal. And the third scenario is essentially bound up with the first one, which is the one I just mentioned, where there's a minority government that has support in parliament from a center-right government. And in two of three of those scenarios, Wilders does become prime minister. And I think the big conundrum for the Dutch more traditional political parties is if they let Wilders govern, what will happen to the country? What are the risks to the constitution? What are the risks of the more extremist positions becoming policy? But the risks of not letting him govern are that more than 2 million people voted for him and they may be very upset if they feel excluded. So they've sort of maneuvered themselves into a very difficult position. And around 70% of the VVD's supporters want them to govern with Wilders. And so basically these center-right parties are at the heart of things and they're in a very difficult position. Caroline, you wrote this weekend in the NRC that the nationalists mantra used to be you lose sovereignty because of the European Union. So away with the European Union. Now they see that they have more sovereignty if they stay in it. They can open doors to the Russians and Chinese who want a foothold in Europe to weaken it from within. This is the cynical Europe that people like Orban, Le Pen and Salvini are working towards. What does this mean for Wilders? What do they want in the European Union? And is Wilders the Dutch Victor Orban? I think in a way, yes. I mean, every politician has its, puts his own emphasis on some issue. The Netherlands is not Hungary course. But I believe Wilders is rather close to Orban. His wife is Hungarian. He goes there a lot. So the two know each other well. I believe they have the same kind of vision for Europe. 
what you've seen is that many far-right parties, including builders, have advocated exits. Huh? But after Brexit, after the presidency of Trump and after Putin's aggression to the east of the European Union, something has changed with the far right, including builders. Namely, they don't want exits anymore. They've seen the debacle of Brexit. They see how small countries outside EU, well, the UK is not that small a country after all, are totally marginalizing themselves. So they've changed tactics and they don't really advocate exits anymore. They want to stay in and change Europe from the inside. So what they're doing now is actually they're entering European politics. They were always railing on a national podium against Brussels, against the EU. Now they step on a European podium and try to forge a different Europe. And they need each other for this. Orban very well explains, he held a speech in Zurich last week, which is very interesting, where he explains to the Swiss who have their own difficulties with the EU, they're not members of the EU, but they're active on the single market. And he explains to them, look, you are rule takers. I understand you're not becoming members and I would advise you not to, but you have to accept the fact all the decisions in Brussels that EU countries take affect you directly and you are just passive. You cannot influence those decisions. This is why we stay in, you know, and we try to influence those decisions in Brussels. According to Orban, there are two possible Europe's in the future. One is his Europe, a more conservative Christian Europe. And the other one is Macron's Europe. He sees, you know, Macron is the other one who has a vision for Europe in the future. And he wants to win this game. And he's lining up now other countries. He's lining up Meloni's Fratelli in Italy. He's lining up Vox, other parties. Vlaams Blok, Vlaams Belang will probably become the biggest party in the Belgian elections next year. Separatist, also far right, and so on. And so slowly, slowly, they're building up some kind of pressure on the European level now. And Wilders knows very well that 81% in the last poll of the Dutch are indicating that they don't want to have an exit. The Netherlands is very, very much into the heart of European cooperation, European integration. They don't want to go out. So he's not going to do that. But he will try to give them a different Europe, which is a completely different game. Thanks. Sander, you warned in articles leading up to the election that the Netherlands would return to being a break on European integration and would be a diminished force in the EU. What is the election outcome's impact on concrete challenges that the EU faces right now, like EU budget top-ups, fiscal rules reform or enlargement? I think essentially, even before the shock outcome, it was clear that a quite unique period in Dutch diplomacy in the EU was coming to an end because Rutte had started with some more anti-EU notes in the sort of Dutch tradition of being a bit skeptical of giving too many competences to Brussels. But over time, over the 13 years of him as prime minister, he I think, saw that he could solve problems in the EU. And so he moderated certainly his behavior and built up much more close ties to a lot of other European leaders. And his last government really completed that transformation. So this government was very 
brought at home. They had a lot of spats over migration, over intensive farming in Holland and the kind of nitrogen emissions that creates. But in the European sphere, they were very active. They made many proposals, including laying the blueprint for fiscal rules reform with Spain, of all countries, a high debt country and not a frugal country like the Netherlands, and advancing weapons supplies for Ukraine, etc. And that was a really important role because the Franco-German relation that normally powers the EU has been in difficult, if not dire straits for quite some time. Berlin and Paris have argued over energy policy, over nuclear policy, over buying weapons from the US or building them in Europe. And so the Dutch, to some extent, together with the Spanish, were sort of the oil men or oil women of the EU that greased the wheels of decision making. And that now falls away, in part because Rutte has left, in part because many senior party leaders and ministers have left the political scene, and in part because the electorate is making a move to not only the far right, but also to center right parties that are more skeptical of giving more competences to the EU. And so the older Dutch orthodoxy on fiscal rules, on not giving more money to the EU will return and given builders sizable victory, it will return with fury, I think. So that's one on fiscal rules that's so close to the finish line, maybe that Rutte as caretaker will still push it over the edge. But I think on EU budget top-ups, etc., things look much more challenging. Another implication that's interesting and a good space to watch is that the shock election in the Netherlands has really scared the Germans. And so there's a big political crisis in Germany over the budget after the constitution ruled some of their budget practices unconstitutional. And you have a sort of acute sense in this country with many even CDU politicians who are in the opposition saying, oh, maybe we should watch out with toppling the government at this stage because we see what it might lead to. So there are many reverberations from the Dutch election. I mean, one question I had a bit for Caroline is Wilders takes a very extreme stance on no more military aid for Ukraine, on cutting back Dutch support for some of the more security-oriented policies. So I'm curious what you think the new Dutch government will do in that space. Will they change tack or do you think that the other parties will moderate Wilders' sort of instinct in that sense? That's a very good question. I think the jury is still out. Don't forget that in the Netherlands, the support for all the government assistance to Ukraine is very high. And also the support for what the EU is doing in Ukraine is very high. It's to the tune of, I think, 82% or something. Wilders cannot just discard that. And I've heard him, we've all heard him on this. His election program was called Nederlanders op één. So the Dutch first, but we will really have to wait and see how much of that he will have to swallow. The first thing he said after hearing that his party had become the biggest in the Netherlands was to say, we have to jump over our own shadow. Builders is, I think, in a very clear position. It is the first time he is close to power. It's also probably the last time he is close to power. He's been at it for 20 years, going up and down. We've seen a lot of far-right parties coming and going. Pim Fortuyn's party that became very large and then completely imploded. We had the Forum for Democratie, very promising to some people, but then the balloon just burst. If he doesn't manage to form a stable government or to take part in a meaningful way in a stable government, people will think, okay, this was the end to our experience with the far-right probably. So he is expected to do everything 
to make sure that he is in the government or even leads a government. But it is a coalition government. It will be with two, three, maybe even more parties. He captured 23% of the vote, meaning 77% of the Dutch didn't vote for him. This is important to keep this in mind. So yes, it's the largest party, but still it's a minority. So he cannot just implement all of his own program. And I think a lot of his plans for Europe have become bargaining chips. And again, if we look at what Orban is doing, Hungary, a very small recalcitrant country. Orban is quite alone in Europe among his peers, the heads of state and government. But he is now blocking financial assistance to Ukraine, the 50 billion financial assistance for the next few years, which was supposed to be decided at the European summit in December. He's blocking a decision also for December on whether or not to start accession negotiations with Ukraine and several other things. It might be too early for the new government because it could take months to form it. It could also go very quickly. We don't know. But I assume Rutte is still going to be at that summit. But what you see is how Orban is using his veto. He's just waving with the veto to, you know, to become a big nuisance. And these kind of games are, of course, inspiring for how the PVV positions itself in discussions about Europe. The European politics is seen as a way to leverage your own power. Orban would be very small outside of Europe and makes himself very big by blocking Sweden's accession to NATO, by blocking assistance to Ukraine and so on. Wilders could very well start to do the same thing. This has not a lot to do with content, but it has a lot to do with tactics. And every part of his program, he can throw it under the bus or he can use it in this way, including the enlargement discussion. Yeah, exactly. And maybe to compliment briefly on that is even Omtzigt during the government has said that while he does not agree with Orban, the Dutch should copy more of his tactics to get what they need for Dutch citizens. So I think this tactical learning is not only confined to Wilders, it seems, but it seems to be shared more broadly across the Dutch political spectrum. And I think that one interesting question for me as an economist is the impact this will have on the Dutch economy, which, as Caroline said, is at the heart of the European economy. And this sort of anti-international rhetoric, if not maybe even less good governance, could also have some damaging repercussions for an economy that's completely built on trade, on openness, on... Yeah exchange on financial flows. So that's uh, also an interesting space to watch. I think we have time for one more question. Caroline, will the Wilders shock embolden the far right in the European elections next year? Yes, I think it will. It already does, actually. <laughs> and this started before Wilders won the election. It's actually preceding the surge of the PVV. We had movement in the Netherlands, which is now, again, completely deflated. The BBB, the Farmers' Party against climate change measures, against wokeism, against, you know, it's it's a rather right-wing party in the Netherlands, which became very big. I think what happened on a European level is that the center-right, again, center-right has the key, never forget this, <laughs> center-right parties in the European Parliament, so all the center-right parties, Christian democratic parties mainly, in Europe are now in Parliament, moving to the right. We've seen several times that suddenly they voted against 
climate measures that are part of the Green Deal that they supported before. So one year ago, they supported it. And now all of a sudden, they're trying to water them down or even vote them down. And they have voted laws down. So they're clearly afraid. And that's what they're telling me here in Brussels as well, is that the BBB for them was a wake-up call. Like if we consider what they call the climate madness, even though they supported it uh, until recently. If we keep supporting this, we will lose the farmers and we will get big farmer movements dropping down on highways like they did in the Netherlands, visiting politicians at home, threatening their children and so on. This fear has already prompted the center-right family in Europe to move, to become more conservative and move a little bit further to the right. So this is a preemptive move because next year in June, we will have the European election. I think it is rather clear and the Wilders victory, if you can call it that, is perhaps going to reinforce it. What I would tell them, you know, learn the lesson of what happened when the center-right in the Netherlands opened the door to cooperation with the far right. There's a beautiful story in Bavaria in Germany, where the CSU, about eight years ago, started to run after the AfD, the far-right AfD, because they saw the AfD surging in the polls. So they started to run after them and take over part of their far-right agenda. The more they did this, the more the CSU saw the AfD growing and growing and shrinking themselves. And at a certain point, they just stopped this. They returned to the political center. There was an interview just a few weeks after with the then leader of the CSU. And they asked him, so why are you now talking about climate measures again? Are you talking about cultural diversity, about integration of immigrants? Why have you become mild and turned your back to the far right? And the guy said, and I will never forget this. He said, very simple, because we made the AfD bigger by doing this and ourselves smaller. Du kannst ein Stinktier nicht überstinken. You cannot overstink. So the farther you move to the right as a center-right party, the more they jump even further to the right. You will never win this game. That's a great story. Thank you both for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you to our listeners at home. Please like and subscribe to us and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.